If you're able, stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. <coughs> Good morning, church. Good to have you here today. We're going through this study of Colossians. And today we look at these most profound verses in verses 15 through 20. What do you hear when you hear those verses? What did you hear as you heard Keeley read those, the word of God in those five verses? Did you hear Christ being preeminent, the greatest sovereign lord that he's the head the head of his body the church did you hear that he's the fullness of god that he's before all things that's what we're looking at today we're looking at who jesus is that's what i i titled this and all of those things are true about christ jesus we will also look at his work, as is mentioned in that last verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross, the work that Christ did. Grace Harvest Church is about the gospel. It's about announcing the gospel in every aspect of our church service and one of the easiest ways to uh, talk about the gospel is to say the gospel is the person of Christ Jesus and the work of Christ Jesus it's just to say that the good news of Jesus is the gospel it's about who he is and we need to know not our version of who we might think he is but the version that the Holy Scriptures, God word, God's Word says about His Son, who Jesus is. And so that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at these verses. And what will be interesting in looking at these verses is that most commentaries that study this notice a profound difference in these five verses. Like if you were the Colossians and you open this letter up and you read it in the original Greek you would read a letter but when you got to these five verses verses 15 through 20 you would be reading something else like you would be reading uh, something that's not the Apostle Paul writing to the Colossians you're writing Paul saying something very profound about Christ in these five verses. Something totally unique in the letter. It would stand out. There's no I's, we's, you's, us's. Uh, there's l less pronouns. There's less uh, second and third person verbs. There's a whole change in the shift of the letter. It's just obvious. To anybody reading, anybody uh, that would just know those things, even if you didn't know... The, the profound difference in all the words. So most commentaries say that this was most likely a hymn. It 
is a praise of worship of Jesus. The way this is written is hymn-like. Some say it might have been a confession, a confessional. This is what, if you were asked, who is Christ? You would say, he is the image of the invisible God. And everybody would stand up and say these things about who Jesus is. This is who he is over the church, the head of his body, the church. And this is who Jesus is. And this is the work that he has done. He has made peace by the blood of his cross. That's this, we could read this every Sunday and it would fit in with our gospel announcement right here about who Jesus is, the work that he has done. It's very profound. It's very exciting to be preaching it today. We start off with the person of Jesus. And we'll get to the work of Jesus. So the person of Jesus. It starts off saying he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. What does this mean? We find meaning in the definition of words. A lot of times commentaries will break down each word. Image, what does image mean? Firstborn of all creation, what does firstborn mean? Of all. And so you break down all of these words. And we'll do that a little bit, but you can go on with pages and pages of that. And I could spend the whole uh, sermon just on a couple of words here on this one verse. <clears throat> and so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to look broadly at each of these verses and look at what those words mean within the sentence. And this is how you find meaning and how it's context. People go, I didn't mean that. They, didn't they took it out of context. And this is true. You can take a sentence and make it mean something else that it doesn't mean because you're taking it out of the context. So the context of a sentence and the meaning of a sentence is found within the paragraph. The paragraph titles that, what that sentence means. It brings out further explanations of what that sentence means by adding other sentences within that paragraph. And that paragraph only means and has meaning within the broader aspect of the letter. And the letter has broader meaning within the whole scope of what we would have as the Bible. It has to have uh, hermeneutics. It has to have a homily to it. It has to mean the same thing everywhere. So what does the Bible say about Jesus here? It's very profound, but we're not going to just look at the, the, the words. We're going to look at the sentence and then look at it within the, these five sentences to our worship of Jesus and look at that like, is this worship of Jesus? Yes, it's all about him. It's all about him being preeminent the fullness of God, the head, all of these things are putting Christ first place in everything. So it mentions creation. Creation is something that can be seen, but God is something that can't be seen. He is invisible. The scriptures talk about this. God is spirit. He can't, can't be seen, but yet it's saying Jesus is this image that can be seen. And, and to what degree, because uh, uh, that word means icon, or where we get our words like icon, image. And so is it just like a stamp on a coin, like here's Caesar, and here's his image, and you can see him, and this is what he looks like, this outward thing? And obviously that's not. There's a reference to creation and being the firstborn of all creation. So when we get into, this is kind of a little help from uh, Romans 1.20, talks about God's invisible attributes. So the image it's talking about isn't an outward image. It's something about who God is, his attributes, like his character. And so Romans 1.20 says, for his invisible attributes, namely, uh, and then it lists those, his eternal power and divine nature. The, this is who God is, his eternal power and his divine nature. That can't be seen. That's invisible, but so how do you see it? They have been clearly perceived, known, seen ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So God's invisible character, divine nature can be seen in what he has made in creation. So it, who is Jesus here? Uh, when, when it says he's the firstborn of all creation, what is that meaning? Is Jesus some kind of created being or is he the creator? What is this saying? 
And a lot of that can be helped by understanding the, the word firstborn and the meaning of that word throughout Scripture. And one place in which you see that word used is in Psalm 89, verse 27, speaking of David. Okay, earlier in verse 20, it said, I've found, in, in Psalm 89, 20, it says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. So God made David king, and he called David in, in, in Psalm 89, 27, his firstborn. I will make him, make him the firstborn. And wh what does that mean? It means the highest, he goes on and says it, the highest of the kings of the earth. So he's making David, and if you know anything about David, David wasn't the firstborn in his family. So in order... Firstborn doesn't always mean just in order. A lot of times it does. Firstborn in order. He's the firstborn son. But he's, God is saying using firstborn as meaning the highest there. I'm going to take David, who's the youngest in his family, the, the scrawny runt in from the field brought in. Well, surely it's this. It's the oldest. It's the firstborn. It's the, well, the son. Who? You, it's not any of these. Pre, who, David, you know. And so, but God made David the firstborn. So it's not an outward thing he was looking at his heart similarly with jesus jesus is the image of god of the invisible god he's the firstborn of all creation ruling over creation so not just firstborn of but also over and either one of those words can be used there some use the word over all creation but of all creation it means he is the highest of it okay He's the highest in all of creation and the highest over all creation. Then the next verse goes on to say that. How do you know that's what he's saying for sure? By the next verse. For by him all things were created. So it's exalting Jesus as the highest, the firstborn of all and over all creation. But then it's saying, what does that mean? It means that Christ is, that by him all things were made. In heaven and on earth, no matter what was made. Visible things, yes. Visible things, okay, that's what we see. Creation, visible. But invisible things, things you can't see. Christ made those too. Just want to make sure you know all things were made by Christ. This is going to be important to know that he made the invisible things too. Later on, as we begin to be able to see invisible things in the atom and all kinds of things, he made those things too, even things you can't see. It's exalting Christ. It's putting everything under his rule uh, as creator, uh, along with God the Father. I mean, it's just exalting Jesus as the highest. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Thrones, so this is authority, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. Like what kind? All kinds. Uh, everything was created uh, by Jesus. And then it just sums it up. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. All things were created through him. Now for him is very important because everything created finds its meaning and purpose in Jesus. It's saying it's created for him too. Not just by and through him as creator, but also it finds its meaning and purpose in in Jesus it was created for him also so this it's like it's like for him it's it's worshiping him it's worshiping Jesus you just see this worshipful tone taking on that Jesus is the creator and that all things were created through and by him and for Jesus these verses establish Jesus as the creator of all things and that it was created for him Everything, rulers, thrones, dominions, authorities, all thrones, dominions, and rulers and authorities are subject to Jesus, and they are created for him, subject to him, for him. So it just keeps rolling, Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he's before everything. So he's bringing this eternal attribute. The image of God is eternal. That's before everything, without beginning. And it's saying Jesus is without beginning. He is from, he is this image of the invisible God uh, in everything. 
that he might be preeminent. Verse 18 goes on to say that he's the head of the body of the church. Everything that he's accomplishing on this earth through his body is being accomplished through his church to bring about who Jesus is and to bring about his salvation. He's working in and building through his church and he is the head of that church and he is preeminent. Why? That he might be preeminent in all things. Everything that is happening in and through his church what is happening here today over our little church right here in Grace Harbor Church and over the churches in Lincoln County and the world at large that is the body of Christ who believe in this Jesus is all under the rule, authority of Jesus. So all of that is under Jesus' rule. Praise be to Jesus. And then 19, for in him, and this is just going to come up, he's the head of the body of the church, he's creator, visible, image of God, all these things that we've looked at, in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Pleased to dwell in Jesus. He's, he's all that God. So is he uh, in, being the image of the invisible God? When we look at this whole, whole, whole text, just some kind of image, some kind of blurred image, some kind of partial image, some kind of just uh, created being, some kind of just in part thing, or is he the fullness of God? In him was the fullness of God dwelt. Is he in part no, not just in part, in partly the image of God. Jesus is the fullness of God's, in, in, in the invisible God's image. So he's all of that. In our book that we're studying, uh, in uh, men's Bible study, Sam Storm's book, The Hope of Glory, where he's taking devotions and, make, you know, he had uh, 10 to 12 devotions on these verses, uh, 15 through 20, and in one of them, he says this, the point then is that Jesus Christ is utterly unique, distinguished from all of creation because he is both eternally prior to it, remember, before all things, and supreme over it in the sense, especially that verse 16 makes clear, he is the creator of all things. Who is this man? He is the Lord Jesus Christ who images the Father, displaying in himself as the second person of the Godhead every perfection and attribute of the first person of the Godhead. He is also creator and sovereign Lord over all. And after you say all that, what do you got to say? Praise be to the Son. I mean, you can't help but worship the Son when you read these scriptures, these scriptures are worship and they produce worship. These verses within the context of the Bible, does the rest of the Bible confirm this? This same image of God who is Christ, does the rest of the Bible support? This is one of the highest uh, Christological uh, uh, announcements about who Jesus is, but there are other ones too that are really good that go along with that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In John 14, Jesus himself saying to Philip, Philip asked him, Lord, show us the Father. Like, if we can see the Father, man, that, that is, it'll, it'll answer everything, you know. He's just begging, Lord, Jesus, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, this is profound, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I'm the image of the invisible God. And it's not just an, it's not a physical outward thing like, oh, you've seen me, you've seen, you know. It is the spitting image of, of God the Father, Jesus is. But it's this internal attributes, his divine nature, like knowing the Father. If you knew the Father, you would know that I, uh, you would see me. I am the spitting image of the Father. To know me is to know the Father. To see me is to see the Father. Philip, come on, disciples. And he was asking the question they were all asking. So how can you say, show us the Father, Jesus says. I've, I've already done it. There's other scriptures that Paul brings out in um, Corinthians 4.4. 4. 
talking about in their case, the lost, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is what? The image of God. This is who Jesus is. This is who uh, Satan blinds the eyes from seeing the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I love this passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 4 and it goes on to say in, in 4.6 it kind of talks about creation because it refers back to God who said let light shine out of darkness. In 2 Corinthians 4.6 it goes on to say this let light shine out of darkness. The same God that said that in creation has done what? Has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God That's where the light of the glory of the gospel radiates. It's creative power to see Jesus just like Jesus. Think of, you know, think of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in creation. Spirits hovering over the waters. The Father's pronouncing, let there be light through Jesus, bringing the light, the word. He speaks the word and, and, and the, the triune God at creation. And he's saying the triune God is like that when we're, come to a knowledge of the truth when we see the light of the glory of the gospel he's literally like he says let there be light in the beginning he's saying let light shine in the hearts of those who put their faith and trust in jesus and see his face coming to know him as a creative power as powerful as when he said let there be light Whew, that's power in the gospel that's power here that he's speaking he's saying in these um, scriptures that are the image of God. I mean, he's bringing back that same theme as in Colossians that we've read about. A lot of people's favorite verse, I remember Jonathan Tondino's time when his dad loved this verse, one of his favorite from Hebrews 1. And when it gets down to verse 3, he says, he is the radiance, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. And I love this phrase right here, the exact imprint of his nature so how much is he the image of god how much is he kind of in part part you know a little bit three quarters 75 99 the exact imprint of his nature jesus is saying if you've seen me philip you've seen the father exactly the father see there's this oneness that you can't put jesus somehow below the father you just can't they're beside one another you can't make him less than you can't make him a created thing you can't make him another created being, some kind of angel, some kind of anything else. He's one with the Father. This is the core orthodoxy of Christian faith, that we see Jesus as the image of God, perfect, the exact imprint of his nature. It even goes on to say that, you know, similarly, he holds all things together, Hebrews 1.3 upholds the universe by the word of his power you see these similar things mentioned so the rest of scripture is and there's others that helps us see that jesus is this glorious and jesus is worthy to be praised see jesus isn't worthy to be praised unless he is god you know you worship god and you worship him alone and so he either is god or he isn't and so in different um, faiths, um, like the Jehovah Witnesses, they don't believe Jesus is God, and, and therefore they do not worship him. There is no worship of Jesus, zero uh, worship of Jesus. In Jehovah, Jehovah. So there's many things even today that's going on all around us where people have Jesus uh, wrong. They've diminished the gospel. They've diminished Jesus, who he is, made him a created being, made him some kind of high-ranking angel but an angel a created thing something and the same thing was happening within the colossians within the colossian church and so it helps us to take the context of these five verses why is paul saying this at the beginning in the first chapter because he's about to in chapter two confront some false teaching teachers teaching that is going on where the the colossians are getting pulled away from who this is in jesus diminishing jesus lessening him Oh, Jesus is great, yeah, 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 oh yeah, great, 
Jesus plus thing or it's a diminishing of Jesus. There's always this. There's always an attack at the core root of the gospel. Hear this, Grace Harvest Church. The gospel is the person of Jesus as the Bible describes him, like in these verses. And we cannot diminish him. And the Bible's work is through Jesus, through the blood of his cross. And it will always boast in something else other than the cross. There will be boasting in something else. So what, as we look at these other scriptures briefly, we'll look at them as we get to them, obviously. But he repeats these verses. I kind of want you to see that. He's taking these verses. He's establishing who Jesus is and his work right here. Because it's going to come into play in the rest of the letter. Okay? So Colossians 119, we saw that in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2.9 says pretty much exactly the same thing. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. You see the similarity there. He's bringing that verse back up, saying Jesus, in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells in Colossians 2.9. Why? Because that will help you uh, against... People who are saying, in verse 4, in order that they may delude you with plausible arguments. They're making plausible arguments. The verse previous to verse 9, it will help you against them. What are they doing? See to it, Colossians 2.8, that no one takes you captive by philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. See, they're taking you away from... From Christ, your devotion to Christ, the exaltation of Christ, the preeminence, first place, Christ in your heart. Yeah, Christ is that, but he's, you know, like this. Or there's always something that will directly, and, and we'll look at these things in more detail. But right now, what I want to see is these verses that we're meditating on and the importance of them to get to know this because it's going to affect in the rest of the letter about who Jesus is. False teachers will diminish who Christ is, they'll always lessen, lessen him, no matter how plausible argument seems and they will distort who Jesus is and somehow and they will distort and diminish his work his work at the cross but yeah the cross yeah mm -hmm, yeah but this and that and this and that and this and that also there'll be a Jesus plus something there'll be the cross and something and these are things that lead us away from and that aren't according to Christ. That's why what, that's what Paul is establishing these verses. Colossians 1.16, we saw that, for by him all things were created. It mentioned rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. All this he is established in Colossians 1.16. We saw Colossians 2.10. He says, you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Why do you want to be filled by anything else? He is this. Once you establish that, you diminish what else you would go and attempt to be filled in when you're already filled by him who's the head of all rule and authority, okay? He's the head of all rule and authority. Why do you want it? Because they're lessening Jesus. They're lessening in whom he is and adding other things to the gospel. He's the creator of all rulers and authorities. He's the head of all rule and authority. So you're already filled in Jesus, don't be filled by lesser things. That's what he's going he's gonna to go on to say. Why be filled by these lesser things? Know who Jesus is. Know the person of Jesus. Know the exalted preeminence of who Jesus is. And you won't fall for a lesser Jesus. And know what he has accomplished in the cross. And you won't fall for some other cross plus things. Like I boast in Jesus' work on the cross. Not in my attempts to, to please God. But how God has been pleased by Jesus's work on the cross. Everything else I do, uh, I am created for good works in Christ Jesus, who's done the work, okay? So my good works aren't in any way adding to my salvation. Jesus Christ, my faith in him alone, is in him whom my salvation. But people, in these teachings, it's, impo it's important to establish that. The work upon the cross, as you see, Paul concluded in verse 19 of Colossians 1. He says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And here's his work in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's pointing clearly that this is how 
Jesus' work accomplished everything by shedding his blood on the cross. This is how he accomplishes everything. False teachers will add in and bring in these other things. You need to, to know this. So later on in Colossians 2, verses 13, 14, Paul's bringing them back. Remember, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See him pointing to the cross? Come on, somebody shout, glory. Woo. Yeah, come on, glory. Yeah, that's what I was doing all week. The gospel says you're dead in your sins and trespasses. That's another thing uh, false teachers won't do. No, you're, you're pretty good, but you can get better. They won't, they won't come at you and say, you're dead. You ain't got no hope. You're not paddling around in the ocean. You're dead at the bottom of the ocean, buddy. You don't need a lifesaver. You need somebody to dive down in and reach out and pull out your dead corpse. That's how dead you are. You're dead. You know, people don't want to hear that. Well, I'm pretty good. And I can be better. I can have my best life now. Great. Tell me that. Okay? But the gospel doesn't do that. It comes at you, tells you the truth, says you're dead in your sins and trespassing, the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God's made you alive together with him. There's the hope right away. Made you alive how? With him. How and why? Because he's forgiven us of all of our trespasses. What does it mean to have trespasses? It means you've trespassed the law. It means that God has established laws and they're holy and you've trespassed them. What has he done? He's canceled out that record of debt of every trespass you've had against his holy law that stood a good to you with its legal demands and there was no other way out of them except by nailing them to the cross. When he nailed Jesus to the cross, he nailed all your sins and trespasses into, uh, on the cross. Jesus is, is the only, the only answer for the ills that plague us and plague humanity. The gospel speaks the truth. You're dead. You can only be made alive again through Jesus and who the scriptures say Jesus is and his work, which is the cross. And you know what that leads into? That leads into worship. You cannot focus on your salvation without worshiping the one who is all of this. Colossians 1, 15 through 19, he is all of that. You worship him, and he did accomplish it. He reconciled. Everything that will be reconciled will be reconciled through the cross. There is no other, other reconciliation except through Jesus and the blood of his cross that he shed. And when you get to that, you worship Christ. Uh, uh, one preacher said, if this ain't worship, it creates worship. <laughs> it's like, if this ain't a hymn, let's worship it as, you know, uh, Jesus as a hymn. It either is a hymn or it, it creates the worship of a hymn. One of the commentaries reading, I got about three of them going. One of them is by Douglas J. Moo. It's really 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 an in detail one goes on and on about pages of just you know things to just show how this is a hymn of worship and he goes on and on and on uh, <laughs> and I don't even know if I can briefly try to bring just one point that he makes about how this is unique kind of mentioned it really briefly earlier but I just want to read exactly what he says on page 108 of his book on his commentary to Colossians, Douglas J. Moo. This context surrounding verses 15 through 20, here's 15 and 20 that we're reading today, but all before it and all after it, context after it, that is natural to a letter, it focuses on the readers. I mean, this is a letter to Colossians. It's focused on them. You can obviously see that the shift in these verses aren't focused on the Colossians uh, here, so you see that shift, but how does he see it? One of them is through, I know we're going to get into some English here structure, but this is in the Greek structure. Uh, there's pronouns. Pronouns refer uh, to the reader, Colossians, you, or the writer, Paul, the apostle Paul, we, us, all these different pronouns. And there's nine in verses three through eight, that's a paragraph. There's four verses nine through 14, that's another paragraph. And then after this, in verses 21 through 23, there's two of these pronouns and then with that there's first or second person verbs these verbs action verbs that goes with those types of pronouns there's uh six in in verses three through eight four in verses nine through fourteen three does it sound like this guy studied this 
Okay, this is just one tiny point that he makes, but which I love it. I just, I can't get enough of this. I just, uh, you know, I can read it and be lost and just look up at the clock and like two hours have passed. And I've been studying verbs and pronouns, you know, like looking them up going, what? What's the second person verb again? You know, because it is just the detail of wanting to dig in deep and know, what does this sum up? This sums up that this is a unique passage because he says neither of those features appears at all in verses 15 through 20. So there's none of those features. Basically, there's 13 um, first and second person verbs in these verses all around it. There's 15 total pronouns all around these verses, and those features do not appear at all in those verses. I mean, do you see the uniqueness of this? This is, he just, and, and so he says, this is a hymn. This is a hymn of worship. This is a hymn of praise. It's, it's unique uh, in its exaltation of Christ. There's difference in the sentence structure. There's Paul's, you know, Paul can write a real long sentence, uh, basically a whole paragraph of Paul's can be one sentence, Thomas and Lycoma, it goes on. But in these, there's brief points made about Jesus. He is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation, period. Second, he is this. There just goes into this thing that is all unique. I can see it as a confessional. I think we all should just stand up sometimes read it together, you know. He is, it's like the... It's a shortened version of the Apostles' Creed, you know, like you could get up and read together. I believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and all the, the, the depth and beauty of the Apostles' Creed. I believe you could just get up and read this together as a church. He is the image of God, the firstborn of all creation. You just read these verses, and it would be like, yes, this is what we believe about Jesus, and this is what we believe about the work of Jesus. We worship him. One unique theme that I get into uh, sometimes in debating uh, with different people and throughout my life is that Jesus is worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be worshipped. And the distinguishing of him between created things, even angels. Now that was going on in Colossians also. Uh, Colossians 2, uh, 18. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. That's severe treatment of the body like you're going to achieve something. You're going to beat down the flesh so much that you're going to achieve entire asceticisms and Hinduism, all kinds of things, religions, but not insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels. So there was this going on. There's this teaching that angels are coming to us in our group when we worship these angels, they appear to worship these angels. And so, you know, very clearly here and throughout the rest of the scripture, of course, Paul is confronting that there in the Colossians, but in the rest of the Bible, like for instance, John, when he writes Revelation uh, in, in chapter 22, verse 9, and uh, Revelation 19 through 10, John falls down before an angel. He falls down. I mean, angels are glorious. They're the supernatural being. <laughs> you know, if you saw one, you would probably be tempted to like, oh my gosh, you know, just fall down like you were dead before them in, in worship. Uh, but they're a created being. And so when John does this in Revelation 22, uh, 8 and 9, for instance, I, John, heard these things and saw these things, and, and he falls down before him. He said, the angel says to him, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, book worship God. So angels say, don't worship me, and uh, they do it there with John. Uh, it's throughout the Bible, worship God alone. If you look back at Revelation 1.17, you will see John falling at the feet as though dead through, by one who's called the Alpha and the Omega, and he is not told not to worship there. And so that's because that is Jesus, and Jesus is worthy of worship. Jesus just lays his hand on him and says, Fear not, I'm the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Go ahead. Fall down like you're dead and worship Jesus. Yes, John worships at the feet of Jesus because he is God. God is the Son who is eternal without beginning or without end. He is the one who has conquered death by being alive bodily when once dead bodily. <coughs> he went through death, passed through death, rose bodily over death, never to die again. No one has ever done. He's the firstborn of that. He's the firstborn of the resurrection from the dead. He's the first fruits, Paul will say, in other places of the resurrection of the dead. He's raised bodily, victorious, in a glorified body over death, and he forevermore has the keys 
He has the authority. He has the rulership over death and hell. That's who you serve, Jesus. He is God. And here's what Thomas said. Uh, Thomas doubted. Yeah, you're known as Doubting Thomas, but I love Thomas because when Thomas got it, said, I ain't going to believe till I see. I put my hand inside. I got to know. I got to know for sure here because this is crazy. No man rises from the dead, you know. And so Jesus appears to him. Says, Jesus says, see me, put your hands here, see, no. And what does Thomas say in John 20, verse 28? He worships Jesus. He says, my Lord and my God. And that's what we say to Jesus today. My Lord and my God. You are our Lord and God, the eternal Son. Jesus is preeminent in everything. Jesus is exalted in the scriptures. Another little portion of scripture from Sam Storm says, so that he and only he, Jesus, might be seen and savored, recognized and relished, exalted and enjoyed as the sovereign Lord, the one for whom all things were made and to whom all praise should be given. Yes, he is worthy and he alone is worthy of our praise. So as we come uh, to take communion, and after this, after we come to worship and re-sing that song we sang at the beginning, one of the lines we sung was, no hardship, no troubles will separate me. Let all of creation join in and sing your praise, our hands we raise to your love, to your love. Think of the cross. Think of the love of this one who was all that. I remember kind of debating with my son one time. And I, I was talking with him and he was doubting God. And I said, what if God is all that? He is all that. And is he worthy of praise? Is he worthy of worship? He is. Because he is. He's worthy. No hardships, no troubles will separate me. Let all of creation join in and sing your praise. Our hands we raise to your love, to your love, amen. We're going to get to sing that some more. And right now we're going to partake and remember the work of Jesus. We remember the person of Jesus. And that exalted, preeminent person of Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you. And we glory in Jesus and we glory in his work on the cross. We remember his death until he comes. Come and take a cup and return to your seat and we'll pray together. not a bread in the bottom of it? Take him another one, Rafa. 
anybody else need another one? Missing a bread? the rest of us partake of the bread we remember your son Jesus Christ and his body who taken of his body Colossians said that in all the deity all of God, all the fullness of God all the deity dwelt bodily in Jesus, a human all human man Jesus but all the deity like manner he took the cup and he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood given for you for the remission of sins take and drink of it and when you do do this in remembrance of me Jesus said remember my death until I come till I come again till I return let us partake We thank you, Father, for the gift of your Son. You gave all your love. You emptied out heaven, and you sent Jesus to come to this earth to live a perfect life, to perfectly satisfy all the laws demand your perfect and holy nature, to shed his blood on the cross. Thank you for your Son, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Obedient submission to the Father's will. We obeyed him in all manner. And he went all the way to death, even death upon the cross. We were obedient to the point of death, Philippians says, even death on the cross. Because of all that, your name is the name above all names. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus, you are Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. You, Jesus, you are Lord, and we bow our knees before you right now today. We thank you for your shed blood, Jesus. It alone can wash away our sins and forgive us of our trespasses. We praise you for it. Anoint our hearts. We close and sing, Lord, to praise you and to give thanks and glory to God. We ask in Jesus' name. Let us worship together. Chico. 
blessed people in Jesus. May you worship him and give him the honor and praise due to his name throughout this week. As people take his name in vain, may we turn and remember to praise and worship his name. Go out and be a people free from the liberty of the spirit to worship Jesus, to serve him and to serve him alone, to make him first place in everything in your life, in all that you do and say. May it give honor and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love one another.